Reggie, right here. Valero, Ohio. My journal's out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. What is the ruling on the 17th rolling around and the uh, AOBRD or the ELD, whichever it may be, in my truck is not communicating and it's not working and is down and I'm still on paper logs? What happens to me when DOT stops and I'm still running paper logs and this unit is not operational in my truck? The voice you heard at the top was that of trucker Reggie Rainier of Ohio. Curious about his particular situation in light of, what else? Electronic logging device mandate. The transition deadline for carriers still operating with prior generation grandfathered AOBRDs came and went earlier this week on Tuesday. Rainier, as he noted when we spoke Wednesday, remained on paper logs with an ELD that was down and needed resetting. The Omnitrax unit, both company tech support and his carrier were telling him, needed all power cut to it, then a reconnection, in order to make that happen. Rainier was at a loss to do that without taking apart the dash in the company truck he hauled him for a less than 50 truck carrier out of Michigan. As we talked Wednesday, he wondered at the risk for a company operator like himself of running with paper logs when ELDs are required. With little assurance, he said that support personnel might have done what was necessary to, if ultimately needed, extend the eight-day period FMCSA gives any carrier and or driver experiencing an ELD malfunction. I don't want to jeopardize my license, Reggie Rainier told me, and I'm the one that has to deal with the fines that might result at roadside and that mark on my record. The risk to him shouldn't all depend on how much an inspector wants to dig in on the rule given the eight-day grace period to use paper logs when a unit is down is written into the ELD rule itself. But it well might, depending on the, that inspector and, you know, what kind of day he's having. But as I've written on OverdriveOnline.com and our ELD coverage more than once, FMCSA is at least aware that eight days can be all told a quite short amount of time to adequately troubleshoot electronics in the over-the-road trucking environment. I've heard at least some positive things, too, about response times when carriers need to request those extensions. The trick may be in making the request well before the eight days is up. As noted, Illinois-based small fleet owner Bill Frerichs earlier this year, as part of our coverage of customer service issues he was experiencing with an ELD maker when it comes to problem unit replacements, Ferricks notes a rep from FMCSA's uh, Illinois division advised him as such, quote, reach out to FMCSA with the message that uh, my supplier's behind on the seventh day in the eight-day grace period, Ferricks said, and it's too late. They're not going to accept that, end quote. Be proactive, ultimately, on any likely extended delay. If, like Rainier, you're a company driver or leased owner operator where your carrier owns and or manages the ELD equipment, make sure support staff are doing what they need to for any extensions, and you'll be protecting yourself. Appropriate contacts for extensions are the FMCSA division office where you or your carrier is domiciled, or you can use a central email FMCSA headquarters set up in 2018 for such requests. That's eld-extension at dot gov. 
Reps noted at the time that email requests received are routed to the appropriate state division offices and that the state-based division administrator is still the party that will determine whether to grant the extension. They also pointed out that while the established route toward contacting the state division offices directly is still an option, the centralized email also should help FMCSA headquarters keep tabs on the extent of malfunctions. And welcome to the next uh, two final Overdrive Radio podcast of 2019 here today. As always, it's Todd Dills at uh, day four of the first full week of quote-unquote full implementation of the ELD rule. The final transition for carriers still utilizing AOBRDs prior to Tuesday, though, was never going to be the same kind of shock that happened in 2017 when the mandate's first big compliance deadline saw so many new carriers on ELD makers' networks that some experienced major outages. For many independents, I know this latest transition was no big deal whatsoever, given many had been using ELDs, not AOBRDs, from the get-go, if they had to use them at all. But many others also could uh, easily make the AOBRD to ELD switch via the administrator dashboard for the ELDs with just the click of a button or the selection uh, or a selection in a pull-down menu changing how the software operates. And though some of the differences between legacy AOBRDs and ELDs are stark, particularly ELDs uniform automatic switch to the drive line at 5 miles per hour and a wealth of recorded data made available to law enforcement all of which we've reported on at length this year. I do think it's safe to say the bedrock similarities of the devices are probably the bigger deal here for most owner-operators. Nonetheless, find plenty of coverage of the mandate and views on it too via overdriveonline.com slash tag slash electronic hyphen logs. Next week, as the end, uh, as the end of the year approaches, we're, we'll be doing a re- a uh, year-in-review tour of sorts back through the most listened-to Overdrive Radio podcast of 2019. And for the rest of this edition, I wanted to share the remainder of my conversation with Illinois-based Scott Hainline about driver training. The FMCSA still hasn't officially delayed the entry-level training rule, though reports are widespread that that's going to happen. Since you last heard from Hainline two weeks ago, the Trucker Nation organization, among others, has voiced disapproval with FMCSA's reported plan to delay the implementation of new standards the training rule would put in place. Trucker Nation head Tony Justice penned a letter to the agency last week that you may have seen. The group basically withdrew as a partner in FMCSA's Our Roads, Our Safety public awareness safety campaign, claiming the training rule's delay was tantamount to the agency showing clearly that it didn't care about safety. As Justice, with whom regular listeners will be familiar, of course, as Justice wrote, our organization vehemently defends the need for a more robust regulatory approach to driver training and feels it is the very foundation that could lead the agency, our industry, and the general motoring motoring public to seeing the full potential of highway safety. Operator Hainline, you'll remember, got his own initial 1970s and early 80s training in trucking via an informal apprenticeship with a fuel hauler in his area. He went into law enforcement then for decades, and when he retired several years ago, had to get training again before going out over the road. He did it via a community college CDL program in his home state. After a bad experience there, he looked closely at the training issue and found a wide variability within his own state of Illinois in the extent of training that goes on. That's what we were starting to talk about when the previous podcast left off. Here's Hayline. It's what I found just in my research um, on the schools here in, in Illinois was 
we're all over the map. You know, we're all over the map on things. And so, and I'm not a big person on blanket. I hate blanket stuff, but, you know, blanket authority. But um, some of the stuff I was finding, I was finding, you know, on, uh, you know, some of the schools as far as what their curricula was and different things. It's like, well, we can expand. We need to expand on this. And here's areas here that we need to devote more time to. Um, different things like that. And I think I hate mandates, but on the other hand, sometimes they can be beneficial because you have to have standards. Um, but I think, uh, you know, a friend of mine's at a school right now, the community college is 320 hours long and he, he drives a lot of hours and there are classrooms behind him and everything. So now things are range and road and, and, uh, you know, they're learning to drive at night. They're pulling trailers sometimes that are loaded, they are just exceeding everything that I did. I mean, by far, not even close. And the school's a member of the professional uh, truck driver. Truck driver. Yeah, yeah, they're a yeah. member of that. And uh, they've got some great standards, too. Um, I looked into yeah. that, those type of schools, and, and their standards are really good. They're really high. So, Yeah, um, those are pretty involved programs, and they last a long time, and they really put people through the paces. Yep, you're right. And I think all I think all those schools, at least PTDI says, and I, I think they're correct, and other people have said as well, all those schools that are PTDI certified are basically going to have to. They're not going to have to change their curricula to to meet mm -hmm. the, the new standard. They they're already basically exceeding it. So, well, after looking at their standards, I would think so. We have, I think, yeah. five here in Illinois that are involved in it. I looked at that and I thought, wow, these standards are higher than uh, than the Secretary of State standards for the private schools that are CDL certified. So um, I was impressed, you know, and here I do. Sometimes I, you know, get kind of a, okay, you know, what can we do better? But that right there, they their program looked like it was so strong. I would just tell any school, if you want to enhance your program, take a look at these at these guys here. How, how long was the program that you went to? The it was uh, 160 hours, so it was four weeks. Okay. We had classroom, range, road. Um, I think from what I remember, most classes in Illinois are set up that way, but there's some that have a fourth tier there, and it's uh, they call it observation. So okay. we were doing a lot of observation. It may not have been called that, but trust me, you get four of you in a truck driving around. One guy's driving, and the other three are observing. Um, but, but yeah, that's the, the program I went to was just real basic. I think the four hour, the, the four weeks is probably about the minimum. And uh, yeah. I just my friend that's in this school now, the 320 hour one. I wish I'd have went down there because the having just more, more opportunity and more experience. They're really working those those students pretty good. And like I say, I would like to have night driving. I would like to have uh, driving with the uh, loaded trailers and then, uh, you know, stuff like that. Because it seemed like everything they have that that's the minimum, they've just exceeded it, exceeded it, you know, yeah. if that makes sense. They're, they're actually weighing into the kinds of things you would get uh, if you were out there with somebody that's actually working. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, 320 hours is is a lot of hours for a for a basic yeah. course. What uh, what's the name of the school that your friend goes to there or went to? Uh, John Wood Community College, Quincy, okay. Illinois. It's just a 
small, uh, just a small college, two-year college, and uh, about half of the, in Illinois, about half our schools are Secretary of State certified CDL, which is like your private schools, like 160 Academy and and those, yeah. and then the other half are through the community college, and they're um, not uh, Secretary of State CDL certified, but they're certified through the Illinois Community College Board. So my understanding when this thing kind of got going is there was such a need for drivers that a lot of these um a lot of these colleges just started uh you know basically uh submitting a class to the Illinois Community College Board which is approved or disapproved and then they opened up uh this type of training some went a little farther others didn't yeah there's a lot of opportunities here though these schools are pretty close so there's so a lot of students don't have to Spend you know time out on uh, at hotels and stuff. They can actually drive uh, to these schools every day. There's quite a few of them. So, though Operator Hainline is as hopeful as any of you uh, for the potential positive impact of the training rule, if it ever gets implemented. Also, like many of you, he was perhaps most hopeful for something else in the coming year. Do you see any changes in the uh, pausing of the 14-hour clock? Yeah, I can't predict the future, but. My best guess uh, would be that this is probably something to look forward to in uh, 2020. We'll at least see the ball roll forward, I suspect, with a decision on the hours of service changes as proposed, and some 14-hour rule flexibility is likely to be among the changes recommended, given the nature of the FMCSA's proposal earlier this year. Hainline, I think we can say, joins with the Trucker Nation folks, OOIDA, and so many owner-operators when he knows that the ability to pause the clock for safety calls could, like the training rule, truly prove a boon to safety. He also gave me a little more of a window into his appreciation of the other side, of the need for the hours of service generally, given his long uh, past career in law enforcement. And I really get this on coming from the law enforcement and trucking and kind of looking at yeah. both and i ran a lot of traffic back then you know did a lot of accidents all that, that type of stuff yeah. uh set up traffic control plans and whatnot but anyhow um i get it that nobody wants to drive tired and this and this and this okay i get that but and that's why i don't have the problems in in the eld and all and that stuff i don't like the five mile an hour switch how that i had right. to fight that a little bit but i'm getting used to it but um, that 14-hour clock would sure, sure be nice because nobody wants tired drivers out there. Um, and I get this documentation, uh, and I and I get that. Um, right. You know, we've had a couple bad. You know, we've lost a couple troopers here this this year here in Illinois, uh, hit by trucks yeah. while they're out on uh, either traffic stops or at a you know heading on an accident or whatever, and. And I work with law enforcement still. I network with them, you know, and and visit yeah. with the guys that I that are still out there. And, uh, and even I uh, I got my first DOT inspection a few uh, weeks ago out in Iowa. And so I'm talking to the trooper all about that stuff. Uh, he was a commercial vehicle trooper, and uh, during the inspection, him and I were just talking. I was asking him. I wanted feedback. You know, what do we need to do better? And what do we need? You know, uh, what can we do to try to mitigate the chances of because nobody that's a that's a that's a worst case scenario right there when you when you hit somebody and it's fatality it's like yeah. it's very bad and it's bad for everybody involved and it's something you don't ever want to get into you said a lot of 
and I like what he said, you know, we are talking about a lot of the uh, distracted driving, uh, especially with now cell phones and, and whatnot. And uh, he talked also about uh, exemptions for uh, agriculture. We talked about a little bit of that type of stuff. So, um, you know, and uh, and that, no, that was from an Illinois trooper about the agriculture exemptions and stuff. Okay. So we talk about that. Um, these guys will run these portable scales over here close to our house, and that's where I park my truck a lot of times. So when I go over there, if they're weighing, I'll go over there and shoot the breeze with them. And, uh, yeah, the agriculture okay. uh, thing is one of the things they were looking at, the exemptions. When you were in law enforcement, you weren't uh, inspecting yeah. trucks, were you? No. The only time, no. The only time um, we ever had – no, we didn't have. We weren't DOT cops. We can we could enforce yeah. like lights, and we could enforce stuff in the Illinois Vehicle Code. The only time I remember right. any of our officers ever having an issue with a driver, we had one of the uh, less than loaded drivers, one of the ones that makes a lot of early morning deliveries. He went around uh yeah. he went around the crossing gate, and uh, so one of our officers stopped him. And uh, he had a little bit of attitude. Our officer said, look, if, if this is going to be an issue, he said, I'm going to give you a warning, but if this is going to be an issue, I'm going to call the truck trooper and you're going to really, yeah. you're going to really be late because he wanted to get going. And uh, he said, uh, the officer told me, he said, yeah, he really kind of change of, change of thing. You know, everybody has bad days and stuff like that. And like I say, with, with uh, some of the mandates that shippers and receivers put on companies and all, I get it. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, no, we didn't do we we didn't do too much of that. I'd went through schools on a commercial vehicle, but it wasn't the enforcement stuff. It was basically like a drug and, and narcotic and alien uh, transportation. You know how to look yeah, for that yeah. stuff. You know indicators and yeah. stuff of like that. Not a not anything to do like the troopers do. We didn't have creepers and get under trucks and do all that stuff. We you know so my my uh, involvement with trucks on the you know, working as a deputy or as a as a police officer just was very far and few. Big thanks again to Scott Hainline for the benefit of his perspective. Have a great Christmas next week, all of you, wherever you're spending it. And we'll see you late in the week to run back through the year as it ends. As always, find us at overdriveonline.com and that's all for now. <laughs>